Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout. Stories of burnout put to its highest and best use. And wellness leadership strategies. Everything you need to be a physician on purpose. Hello again, Dr. Dyke Drummond here with the latest edition of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. We've got a friend of the show, Dr. Mark Jabin, and one of the coaches here at thehappymd.com. If you call in and get yourself a free discovery session with Mark or one of our coaches, again, the first session is always no cost, no obligation, and completely confidential. Mark is one of our ICF certified physician coaches here at thehappymd.com. Today, we're going to do something really kind of special. What we're going to do is go into the brain science of mindfulness. And let me just give a real quick introduction to how I use mindfulness as a coach, probably how Mark uses it too, but we're going to compare notes. But basically, here's the way I see it. If you think about pain science, so pain medicine, palliative medicine, what you have is a person who is having an experience of pain uh, the neurons are firing off that provide the sensations of pain, but then they're having a reaction to that pain. And if we want, we can call it suffering, because that's a lot of what people do when they're in pain. When I meet somebody who's burned out, who's overstressed, who's questioning about why they became a doctor in the first place, they're having a physical reality, a set of neurologic stimulations of frustration and anger and overwork and exhaustion and hopelessness, but they're also having a reaction to that. If you want, you can call it suffering. They're having thoughts and feelings that intrude on their experience to give them a negative emotional milieu to the whole darn thing. And mindfulness is the thought of letting go of, it's the actions of letting go of anything that doesn't need to be here right now. Letting go of thoughts and feelings that are not supportive. Just like you would help a person who is being treated for pain. You would work to remove the suffering from the act of feeling pain. Here, we remove the suffering, the negative thoughts and feelings from the experience of being burned out, mindfulness. So it's one of the things I, I teach every client first, because what it does is it stops their downward spiral, removes the suffering, stops the downward spiral, so they can take a clean look at it, what's actually happening to them and begin to plan some changes. And the easiest thing to do is just take a big, deep breath, and let go of anything that doesn't need to be here right now. And again, you're going to pop yourself out with me outside the whirlwind so that you and me and Dr. Javen can have a conversation here about a little bit deeper understanding of how mindfulness works inside the brain. So, Mark, tell us, where are you going to take us today? I feel like fantastic voyage. I'm zooming through yeah. the blood vessel. Thanks, Dyke. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people you know, hear mindfulness and they, some people are put off by that. They don't think they can do it. They don't think that they have the ability to do that. How the heck am I going to do that? And I think what I want to talk about is the fact that each of us is already wired to be able to do that. But what we're missing is the structure to be able to do that. So why does that breath work? What is it actually doing? And as we dig deeper, perhaps that will help an awareness of what's actually happening here in the brain and make it uh, something that people believe they can do so they'll practice because practice makes better. And the better that we get at it, the more useful it is to us. Well, and let's just talk about this. 
if I'm an ordinary doctor, burned out or not, and I develop the ability to be mindful, I develop a mindfulness practice, what are the benefits that are then available to me? Well, I think the biggest thing is that rather than be reactive to what just comes to mind in a certain situation, instead, you take a pause and respond the way that you want to, rather than the way you're being driven to by whatever is reacting in your head and coming out. So I might not get angry and say something I regret? Yep. Anything else? <laughs> <laughs> well, it gives us a sense of control over our milieu. And, you know, so many of us are feeling that loss of autonomy and control in our, our practices. And frankly, there are some things we can't control. And depending on what your, your hierarchy and bureaucracy is about, there may be things you can and can't do anything about. But this is something you can control. Nobody, your boss, your supervisor, the patients, the insurance companies, nobody has to be part of that. You can do that. And what I find with so many folks is that the situations that they're in, trying to get to a better space, involves two things. It involves tweaking the bureaucracy and the hierarchy. It also is about tweaking your own perspective. So that's what we're talking about here, something that is totally under your control. And one of the things I would say is that it's a separation of your inner and outer reality, right? There may be an entire tornado going on in your office today, but your inner reality can still be eye of the storm calm as long as you don't attempt to control at the second to second level, attempt to control things that cannot be controlled and simply release and sit with your actual experience, right? Rather than your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts, your suffering around it. Ah, it shouldn't be like this. Just breathe, let it go, and deal with what's next, right? Yep, most certainly. That's a trick for all of us. But when people can get a grasp of that and be able to do that, the difference that it makes in their day is really exponential and monumental. Huge. How was your day today? It was crap, and I'm fine. <laughs> and it'd be true, right? <laughs> right on. So tell us about the brain science behind all of that. So when I say that, that we are wired to be able to do this, the mechanism exists already in our brains. And the question is how to tap into that. So first of all, let's talk about what is that mechanism in the brain. And maybe that'll help people get their heads around what mindfulness is doing at that level. So there's a great experiment by a guy named Benjamin Libet back in the 1980s. And he was a physiologist. And it had been known for probably 150 years that there was an action potential in the brain that could be measured before somebody does the actual action. In other words, I'm lifting my thumb. My brain was already firing before I was aware that I was going to lift my thumb. So what that means is that your brain knows what you're going to do before you know what you're going to do. Lippitt and his colleagues did some experiments where they, and the other thing they knew, I should say, is that there was about a 500 millisecond, that's like a half a second, difference between this action potential that was measured and the action actually taking place. So, Lippitt, yep, go ahead. How do I spell Lippitt's name? L-I-B-E-T, Benjamin Lippitt. Gotcha. So they were curious about what goes on in those 500 milliseconds. And so they did some experiments. They hooked people up to the electrodes or whatever. And they asked them to do something very simple. They said, we want you to think about raising your thumb and then raise your thumb. And so they did that, and they could measure that 500 milliseconds. Then they asked people and said, okay, we want you to think that you're going to raise your thumb, act like you're going to raise your thumb, but don't do it. They still measured the same 500 millisecond interval between when the brain action potential fired and this action should have happened. And when they broke that down, what they found was 
there was about 300 milliseconds between when you thought about it or when your brain fired and you became aware that you were going to do or not do this action. Then they realized there's a 200 millisecond gap where people could actually veto the action. Oh, okay. So your brain fires. It wants to do something. You become aware that that's going to happen or not happen. There was still a 200 millisecond interval where you could stop the action. And what that says to me is that we each have dialed into us the ability to stop what our brain is telling us to do, whether that's an action, whether that's a negative thought, whether that's a reaction to the situation that you know, I might find myself in. I have that in me, that time period that I can take advantage of. What we're missing is a way to tap into that 200 milliseconds. Tap into it. See more. Well, to be able to, to use that time so that we can respond the way that we want to. The pause is there. So think about that. If you use a breathing technique in that situation to pop yourself out of the whirlwind, so to speak, and get a grasp, right? What that breath is doing is allowing you to access that 200 milliseconds, access that pause that we have in us to then be able to say, oops, my brain is telling me that I should be pissed off about this, but I don't want to be pissed off about this. And so in this 200 milliseconds, I can stop that pissed off in this, right? And say, how do I want to respond? You got that 200 milliseconds to present that pause. Once you have the pause, now you can decide how you want to respond in that situation. And, and one of the things that I teach is to name your emotion, not become it. Another thing I teach, and so do you, is to take a breath before you respond. The story I tell is about AM radio tape delay. So you know when you're, you're calling into an AM radio station, you're not actually live. There's like a five-second delay in there, and somebody at the radio station has got their hand on the kill switch so that if you drop the F-bomb, they can kill the feed and make sure that doesn't go out over the radio. So this is my tape delay. How about this? Let's talk at gap stacking. So if I know I got 200 milliseconds and I remember to take a breath, like I'm going to slap my boss, but I remember to take a breath instead, I can then figure out in that stacked time delay what I really want to do that uh, doesn't sacrifice my career. (laughs) (laughs) Or be counterproductive to what you're trying to do. Say, for instance... You know, you're working with staff, and we know the five-to-one rule for trust. One action or in an interaction that degrades trust, it takes five others to make up for that. So if you're working with colleagues or staff or whatever, and you don't want to go backwards with one thing that, that will degrade that trust because then you've got to make up for that. Right. Yeah, there's all sorts of situations where you don't want to be reactive. You want to be responsive. I wish the five to one was based on addition, right? So if I have four great interactions with my people and then I have one bad one, I'm only back to three. No, you're reset to zero. You got to start all over again. Let's talk a little bit about name your emotions too. It's like, so you and I would have a conversation something comes up and I notice you just said something that really pissed me off. I could say, wow, I'm noticing a lot of anger <laughs> coming up in me. Are you noticing that too? Again, stack the space, stack the 200 milliseconds with a breath and an observation. And by the time you're done with those three, you're probably able to handle that in a way that is a response rather than a reaction to the situation. My favorite technique, actually, Dyke. Well, let me tell you why I think this is. Let me get back to sort of the brain research about why this, why I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Okay. So there was a guy. First of all, we all think that our face reflects what we're thinking. That's common understanding. So there was a guy named Carl Herman Horst Joe. 
in the 1950s. He's a Swedish anatomist. And he was one of the first people to dissect all the muscles of the face and figure out which muscles of the face were required in order to make any one of the 29 facial expressions that we're all capable of making. And because he's a guy that probably didn't have many hobbies, he taught himself how to manipulate the muscles of his own face to create each of these uh, expressions. Nice. But along the way, he learned something really interesting, which is that our face does not reflect what our brain is thinking. Our brain reflects what our face is doing. Oh, my. So that leads to my favorite technique, which is just smile. <laughs> because when you smile, that triggers your brain to think from a different perspective, to see things through a different lens than it is currently seeing it. And what I'll often uh, ask people to do is, well, you don't take my word for it. You know, test it out. When you're at work tomorrow, what's one thing that you would never not do before going to see a patient? Uh, well, I've got to open the door to go in the room. Great. When you open the door, just smile. See what happens to that encounter. See what happens for the rest of your day. And for many, many, many people, they come back to me and say, hmm, that really made a difference. Now, that is something that I had to learn to do. When I started to do that, for me, it was quite remarkable. In the midst of the chaos of the emergency department, what just taking probably those 500 milliseconds and just smiling and what that did to what came next. Yep. I follow Thich Nhat Hanh, right? I have a bunch of Thich Nhat Hanh's little guidebooks and uh, Buddhist monk, peace activist. He has a walking meditation where he has word pairs that you say on the in-breath and the out-breath. In, out, deep, slow, calm, ease, smile, release, present moment, wonderful moment. And I find myself as I'm doing that walking meditation and using that mantra, big smile on my face walking down the street. It's kind of hard to not feel your attitude shift at least a little bit whenever you simply force a smile onto your face. And I think that's actually a really important thing that you just said, Dyke, which is it doesn't take much. You know, when you're in the whirlwind, it doesn't take much to pop out of the whirlwind if you are aware that that's what you want to do in that moment and if you're practiced in doing it. Again, that 200 milliseconds is what Tishnahan was talking about in those meditations. I wonder if he and Horseshoe know each other. Maybe. I don't know. How do I spell that Swede's last name? Who knows? H-O-R-S-T-J-O, something like that. Oh, there you go. Got it. But and I think that's another thing that we think that, you know, I've got to do all this meditation. I've got to do this practice an hour a day. I don't have an hour a day. Yeah, you can do that. And the more that you do, the better you will be at it. But you don't have to do that. It can be as simple as making a commitment that when I feel the heat rising, when I feel the things starting to come out that I don't really want to say or do, smile, grab those 200 milliseconds, experiment with yourself, see what happens. Once your brain begins to believe in that path, then it will take that path because it works out better for you. Your brain is always interested in doing something that's in the interest of your, your survival and success. Gotcha. Right. And the phrase that I hear a lot of people say, I was about to lose it, right? So we talked about take a breath and just let go of whatever you're going to lose it with. To name your emotion, wow, I'm noticing a lot of anger coming up. We've talked about just smile and maybe put smile as a pattern in your day. Stack it on a super habit, something you would never not do. Stack in a smile or a breath. That's what we do with the squeegee breath regularly during your day to reset yourself, reset yourself, reset yourself, especially later in the day when you're a little more fragile and a little more fatigued. 
Right on. Anything else you want us to know about the brain science of mindfulness? Any other tips or tricks? Just to go with what you just said there as well, uh, when, you, when you talk about the super habit thing and a trigger, right? What could be the trigger? So I was talking to a, a coaching client the other day, and single dad, three kids, tried to take care of these kids, and we were talking about, well, what's, what's your day go like? He goes, well, my day usually starts when there's a little face in my face waking me up. <laughs> and oftentimes that doesn't get it off to a good start. I said, there's your trigger. <laughs> that little face is your trigger to smile and set your day. So triggers can be things that cause suffering. Trigger can be whatever you want it to be. And sometimes people have to experiment around to find what that right trigger is. If you're going to do something multiple times a day, it's, it's important that it be a super habit trigger, something you would never not do, like you mentioned earlier. And the thing that's really cool about working with healthcare folks, doctors and nurses and such, is we have all sorts of habits at work especially if you slow things down, things that you do between each patient where you could smile or you could breathe in between each patient and stack a mindfulness activity on that habit that's already perfectly established in your routine. And I think, you know, that, that speaks to habits. I forget the gentleman's first name. Last name is Duhigg. This book called The Power of Habit. I think that's the name of it. Yep. But in there, what he talks about is, you know, habits take three things. Takes a trigger, takes a response, takes a reward. And so if you want to rewire in your brain a habit that you don't want to have or create one that you do want to have, you need the trigger so you're focused on that. You need the response. So here's where the 200 milliseconds comes in, right? You get triggered by something. You've got that moment. You've got that pause. Say, how do I want to respond? And as your brain gets the reward from that, which can be a lot of things, you know, so your staff that you're trying to build some trust with. That reward is that you didn't reset from you know, from three to zero again, right? Whatever that reward is. And our brains, again, are wired to be successful in the concept of what it sees as success. So if you think about a habit, you want to be successful doing something. What's the trigger? What's the response you want to have to that trigger? The reward will come because your brain will see that it's more successful. And as you do more of that, that wires itself and becomes more of a pattern that you don't have to necessarily think about consciously and conjure up. It's what comes up for you. And that's what you're trying to do with any habit is move it from the part of your brain that you have to pay attention to it to the part of your brain where it becomes more automatic uh, and therefore takes a lot less energy to, to execute. And one of the things I found, and if you do a mindfulness practice, you'll find that this becomes automatic in a way where if I'm walking any particular length of space, I find my breathing going into a rhythm with my steps automatically that I didn't used to do when I was walking before. So, yeah, and, and just to be really clear, too, none of this has anything to do with navel-gazing, incense, chakras, or any of the other stuff that turns some people off about the term mindfulness. Yeah. One thing, if you choose to, to use the smile technique, one of the things that you're going to have to look out for is, after a while, the folks that you work with are going to ask you, what are you smiling about? It's going to become the default mode for you. And they're going to they're going to be asking, what are you doing? And you can share it with it. Or you can say, my teeth don't hurt. And let, and let them think about it a little bit. <laughs> we'll talk about the reverse differential diagnosis on a future podcast for sure. Right on, Mark. Well, thanks for coming and sharing with us. So so let's, let's go through the basics here, right? That's, the brain is wired because what's the reality? There's a delay. Right. We have built into us. You already have it. It's in the basic functioning. You have the ability to grab that pause and make use of it. Breathe. 200 milliseconds. Smile. 
breathe, whatever, whatever the technique is that works for you. Name the emotion. Name the emotion. And sometimes, just real quick, a, a, another augmentation to breathing is to actually grasp your fist really tight, really tight fist, and as you exhale on this breath, just open your hand and release whatever is there that doesn't need to be here right now. We've got that pause built into us. The challenge is to figure out what is the ritual, what is the structure you can use to tap into your own 200 milliseconds. Right on. Well, thanks, Mark. That's Dr. Mark Jabin. He's one of our coaches here at thehappymd.com. Come to the website, hit the Coaches tab. We've got a frequently asked question file, the discovery call. Your first call is always no cost, no obligation, and completely confidential. If you're struggling with your career at this point in time, wondering, I'm not sure how much longer I can keep going like this. Come see Mark or one of our other coaches, and we can certainly help you out. Dyke Drummond here, Physicians on Purpose podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Dyke. Great to be here.